0: just really set the tone first Peter chapter number four if you'd turn there i want to speak to you this morning about trying times i didn't say crying although although trying times can be crying times sometimes first Peter chapter four verse number twelve Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Now we'll look beyond that in just a little while, but we want to camp out there for the moment because this is a subject that ought to be of interest to every single person here because there's nobody here that is without problems. I mean, you either have a problem, or you just came through a problem, or you're headed for a problem, but we all have problems of some kind. The nature of the problem might be different, but we all have difficulties. We have that in common, and a lot of times, you know, we're struggling trying to make sense out of it. Debbie and Roger, they just now got back in their house after two years because the roof, you know, you hear oftentimes uh, uh, the, about, about the ceiling falling in. Well, theirs did. I mean, through the whole house. They, their house was constructed back up there. In those days, all of their heating was in the ceiling, and it was real heavy, and I won't go into how it was all put together. But literally, after all of those years, it just collapsed and uh, they've been like two years finally getting back in their house and and that along with other difficulties that they've had to go through and it sometimes it just leaves us scratching our head wondering what in the world is going on you know here, here you've got a problem the insurance company doesn't want to pay nothing's working out everything is going wrong and yet and yet you still have the other responsibilities in life and you you try to figure out how in the world am I going to make it? Now keep in mind that Peter is writing to believers. He's writing to Christians. You know, if uh, if we have publicly rejected the Lord and totally ignored. His commandments for our life. We could expect that there would be trouble. But these are people that love God, that serve God, and trying their best to do everything right. And they have been persecuted and driven from their homes to the point that He tells us in chapter number 1 that they are strangers and scattered. They've lost their homes. They've lost everything. They're living as pilgrims out on the road, going from place to place, strangers. And he says, Beloved, think it not strange. Now notice, concerning the fiery trial, the first thing we need to learn about trying times is to expect trials. He said, think it not strange. That is something that is extraordinary or unusual. Don't think it's something that happens only to you. This is something that is to be expected. And notice the intensity of what he's talking about here. He calls them fiery trials, not frivolous troubles or petty problems. Fiery trials. These people have been beaten, and some have, have been literally b- martyrs for the cause of Christ. But notice he also not only addresses the intensity of it, but the purpose for it. He says, which is to try you. That is to put you to the test. Turn back just one page to verse number 7 of chapter number 1. Well, maybe a couple of pages. He says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Philippians chapter number one, verse 29, and I still remember years ago the first time that this verse really hit me. I'd read it many times, but I never really thought about it until one day it just really, God just drove it home. He says in verse 29, For unto you it is given. We're talking about some kind of a gift now. Something is given. In behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. One of the biggest mistakes that we make is thinking that the moment that we trust Christ as our Savior, all of a sudden, all of our problems are going to be solved. Everything's going to be better from now on because we've become a Christian and our sins have been forgiven and we're headed to heaven. Everything's going to be all right. and then the roof falls in. Or this happens or that happens. We might as well expect trials in our life because it's going to happen. Not in the way in the world that we're going to be able to prevent it because God has told us it will happen. The important thing is how do we respond to those things? And remember, God is the one that is in control. either causes it or allows it. But how do we respond? Well, I'm glad you asked because verse 13 tells us, but rejoice. Rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, That when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. For if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. And on their part, He is evil spoken of, but on your part, He is glorified. Now you read that, and at first it will no doubt seem strange to some people. In fact, for some folks, it will seem impossible. He's telling us to exalt in our trials. Rejoice. Exalt in your trials. I mean, it doesn't even really seem to make sense. How can you rejoice whenever you've got all of these problems and all of these difficulties? The only way that it makes sense is the fact that God has told us that that it's not just possible, but it is profitable. And James does exactly the same thing when he talks about the trying of your faith, worketh patience, and so on and so forth. In other words, it produces something. We don't rejoice in the fact that you know that. Regardless of the problem, it's not the problem itself, but it's what the problem produces in our life. You know, and we could, just, we could just go on and on and on talking about, you know, all of the different reasons why it might be. But for those of us that are Christians, all we really need to know is there is a reason. There is a God-appointed reason. And we're not going to have all of the answers until the Lord comes. And until then, we are to walk by faith. You ever thought about what an honor it is to God for us to trust Him and say, Lord, look, I, I have no idea why you let this happen. I have no idea why it's necessary for me to go through this experience. I have no idea why you are subjecting me to something that is so inconvenient, that is so dangerous, that is so painful, or whatever. I don't know, but I know that you don't make any mistakes, and I know you have a reason, and someday I'll understand. Expect your trials and then exalt in your trials. And then notice verse number 15. He tells us that we are to examine ourselves in our trials. I just got through saying that we don't always know the reason, but sometimes God shows us the reason. Notice verse number 15. He's telling us here that it might be due to sin. Notice he said, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Boy, we could stay there for a while, couldn't we? You know, whenever we sin against God, we can expect that there is going to be suffering The Bible tells us, you know, and I've heard people say, well, if I believe what you Baptists do that once saved always say that you could never lose your salvation, I'd just sin all I want to. Well, we sin all we want to and more. We don't want to sin that much. But the fact of the matter is we don't get by with it because the Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth and He scourgeth. Every son, every child of God out of the will of God is going to suffer here on this earth before they go to heaven. You're not going to get by with it. That's why when we're going through some trial in our life, it doesn't necessarily mean that we've sinned, that we have disappointed. God, it doesn't necessarily mean that, but it might mean that. And we make a big mistake to assume, oh well, everybody has troubles. This this surely couldn't be because of anything I've done. Oh yeah? Well, it just might be that if you just get on your knees in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart and to show you the waywardness of your heart, it just might be God will remind you that yes, indeed, there are some things that are displeasing to me. Now I'm telling you right now, we bring more problems upon ourselves than we're willing to admit. We just kind of want to brush it off. We don't want somebody to think, oh yeah, I'm going through this because there's something really wrong in my life. Well, I've hid it from everybody else. They don't know anything about it. But God knows about it and I know about it. But, you know, rather than to repent and make it right, we just want to go on pretending there's not anything wrong. I've often, often talked about a message I heard many years ago about don't waste your sorrow. When God begins to deal with his children because of sin in their life and they refuse to respond, you know what happens? He just turns up the heat a little bit more. He's look he's not going to allow us to sin successfully. So we need to examine ourselves in our trials. It might be due to sin, but notice verse number 16, it might be designed to glorify God. Verse number 16, Yet if any man suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. You're going through some dark valley Some you know, difficult time in your life and you're wondering, why is this? I've examined my heart and even though I know that I'm not perfect, you know, I have repented of my sins, I've made everything right with God, and I just can't get out of this despair. I I, I don't know what to do. Why God would let this happen to me? And it just might be that the whole purpose behind it is that he will be glorified. Because believe me, there are other people that are watching you as a Christian and watching how you respond to your difficulties. They want to see if your faith is as big as you claim it is. They want to see if you love God like you say you do. They want to see how you're going to respond. And whenever we respond as we ought to, which is what? To rejoice, God is glorified as a result of that. By the way, isn't that our purpose in life? Isn't that what the Bible says? I mean, that's the reason that we exist. That's why we're here, is to glorify God. So if our suffering, if our problems and our difficulties can bring glory to God, what difference does it make? Because it's not about us, it's all about Him. But then there's another possible reason. Look at verse 17 and 18. It might be that it's done to change our perspective. Notice, for the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Well, that's what I just talked about a little bit ago. God dealing with His children when they're out of His will. And if it first begin at us... What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? For if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear?' You know, so many times we're crying in our beer about the problems that we have and here we are, a child of God on our way to heaven and God is doing things in our life that we don't understand, things that we would never have chosen for ourselves, things that are exceedingly painful and all of a sudden we get bitter and we begin to complain. Listen, we need to stop, we need to stop the complaining and start rejoicing, realizing that we could be among those that are going to perish forever because they've never been born again. Sometimes we need a wake-up call something to change our perspective in life. Because believe me, you don't have it as bad as it could be. None of us do. There's another thing about trials and tribulations, and that is the fact that we ought to endure them. Now, I'm not going to stay there very long. I just want to mention it because it would take me an hour to speak about everything related to that subject. For now, I just want you to understand, as Paul said to, to, to Timothy, about being a soldier, you know. And he said, "...no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him that's called him to be a soldier." And he tells us to endure as good soldiers. So all we need to understand right now is that it's our responsibility to endure, not to just fold up and collapse. You know, it's tempting for all of us when we're going through something really difficult in our life to just, you know, go, go in there and crawl up on the bed and curl up in the corner and suck our thumb in the fetal position and and and, and complain about all of our problems. Uh, you, you know, that's tempting for everybody whenever you're going through deep tribulation. We don't have a right not to endure whatever. Whatever the providence of God allows to come into our life, we have a responsibility to endure. Maybe you're wondering, well, how in the world, preacher? Yeah, you. It's easy for you to say, but yeah, you're not. You know, you're thinking to yourself, maybe you're not where I am. If you had my problem, you'd understand. It's not so easy to endure. I didn't say it was easy. I just said we have a responsibility to endure. And look at verse number nine. We see how we can endure and what we need to do during our trying trials. We we need to entrust ourselves to God. Notice what he says. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God. Commit the keeping of their souls to him in well doing as unto a faithful creator. That reminds me of what Paul said in Second Timothy 1.12. for the which cause I also suffer these things. Paul listen, when Paul spoke about suffering, he spoke from experience. He said, nevertheless, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. That's how you endure. You entrust yourself to God. Paul says, I've committed myself unto God. That is, it's like making a deposit in the bank. I mean, you take your hands off of what you got, and you entrust the bank to take care of your money. Paul says, that's what I've done with my life. I, You know, I, I believe Him. I trust Him. I've committed myself unto Him. That's the way that any of us endure. There's not one plan for one person and another plan for the other person. There's one plan for every person that's going to endure in trusting ourselves, committing ourselves, you know, trusting God enough that we just put ourselves in His hands. And I think it's noteworthy, and I want you to notice the way that and Peter ends this section. Notice how he ends verse number 19. He speaks here about God as being a faithful creator. You know, since God is able to create and able to control the universe, the point is that He is able to protect and provide for you and I. He's able, and notice He's faithful The point is that Peter's trying to drive home is that you can depend on God. He's trustworthy. I don't think you could end this message any better than that. Those three words. A faithful Creator. Trusting our Creator is the most practical, the most profitable thing that we can do. That's what Jesus did, whatever was there on the cross. And there he said he had committed his soul into the hands of the Father. Peter's speaking to those that had suffered greatly. You know, we can all look at some difficulty that we've gone through, but you know, and I look back over the years and think about the difficulties that Bev and I have have encountered in in trying to do our best to serve the Lord and still all of a sudden get slapped in the face with those kind of things. And I look back and think about that, and yet I think about, boy, you know, I wish that hadn't happened, this hadn't happened, but you know what? She and I both are still alive. We've still got each other. All of our children are alive. They're not all in the will of God, but they're all still alive. There's still hope. You know, and we get to thinking about what we, what we have and the blessings that we enjoy. And it's, I understand it's natural when you're going through a difficulty to look for relief. But Peter is telling us this is where you look. You don't try to run from your problem, deny your problem. You don't quit. You look to God. And the problem is so many people are looking in the wrong places. There are people going through great difficulties and you can't even get them to come to church and sit down and listen to God's word. And then they wonder why they have problems. Well, good night. It's a wonder God hadn't killed you. I'm serious. You said, well, God wouldn't do anything like that, would he? You bet he will. You say, but I'm a Christian. God wouldn't do anything like that. Oh, yes, He will. There is a sin unto death. And if you're not going to cooperate with God, believe me, there comes a time that God says, I've had enough of this. It's time for me to take you home. I mean, if you're not going to get with the program down here, He'll put you in the program up there. One way or the other. So Peter is saying here, commit the keeping of your soul, notice, unto a faithful Creator. Now, early last week as I was thinking about this message and I I was thinking about this phrase and I, I got to thinking to myself, you know, I wonder why he didn't say as unto a faithful Father. Because, you know, one of those precious terms in all of the bible for god it has to do with he being our father in heaven that is so precious to think about god the judge of the universe being our father and fathers are known naturally for for the greatness of their love they're known for providing and for protecting But notice Peter doesn't use that term. He says faithful creator. And I think I know why. Because as much as a father loves his children, as much as a father protects and provides for his children, a father per se can't create anything. And that's what He's wanting us to understand here. He's saying commit your soul unto a faithful Creator. Because sometimes during our trials, we think we've lost it all. It's all gone. My life, you know, will never be the same. I'll never be happy again. My life is in such a mess. I'm just going to be miserable. I don't even want to live anymore. And we can get to that kind of a place. And God wants you to understand that He can do something about that. He's the one that said that He can cause all things to work together, right? For good. He didn't say everything's good, but He said, I can make everything. The bad things, the good things. The good, the bad, the ugly. And I can put it all together and bring something good out of it. He said, I can give you beauty for ashes. I can restore the years that the locust hath eaten. When it seems like it's all gone, I'll never be happy again. Remember, we have a father who is a faithful creator and he can take something that is, I mean, nothing and make something out of nothing. And we look back through, we look back through history. Look at the universe. He's a creator. Look at the universe and we see signs of His faithfulness everywhere. The sun and the moon and the stars and all of, all of created matter bear witness to the fact that God is creator. We know what time the sun's coming up. We know what time the sun's going to set. Why? Because God is faithful and man's never going to be able to change that. And then we, Then we look at history itself and we see the record of how that God has proven Himself over and over again to be faithful. Does does that not mean anything to you? It should mean everything to you to know that He is a faithful Creator taking the nothingness of your life and bringing something glorious out of it. So that brings us to the question... To what or whom are you entrusting your soul? You see, God is faithful to His purpose. God is faithful to His people. And you could and you should trust Him. If you're overwhelmed right now with some difficulty in your life, remember this, getting out of it. And that's what we usually try to do. I want to get out of this just as quick as I can. What, tell, preacher, tell me what to do. I want to get out of this. Maybe you don't need out of it. You can't help some people by helping them, and God knows that better than anyone. And if God's going to help us, He has to sometimes let us hurt. You know, didn't Paul say when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong? So getting out of it is not nearly as important as what you get out of it. Well, what is, for one thing, what does God expect me to get out of it? God expects you to trust Him to the point that you can rejoice. That's what He's saying here. Your situation didn't just happen. Whatever it is, it didn't just happen. God either caused it or God allowed it. I'm talking about a God who is all-wise, ever-loving, totally powerful, completely trustworthy, a faithful Creator. You can count on Him to do what He promised. How is it that you wouldn't trust a God like that? If you're here today and you've never been saved, why wouldn't you trust a God like that? who has promised to forgive you of your sins, has promised to accept you into His family, uh, promised an inheritance in heaven, trust Him. And if you're a child of God today, I know you don't understand everything. I know there are things that happen that you wouldn't have chosen for yourself because you're not that smart. And I'm not either. A lot of things have happened I wouldn't have chosen for myself. They were things that God knew needed to happen for some reason that He'll explain in glory. And out of the depths of His great wisdom, He says, I'm going to do something that's going to hurt my child. I'm going to do something that my child is not going to understand. But I'm going to do it because I know that's what they need at this time in their life. As I said after the flood, you look at the things sometimes we lose, but we need to remember we, as God's children, we never lose it all. We never even lose the most important things of life. Because that's something that the devil and all of his imps can never take away. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And as long as we have the love of God, we've got everything that God chooses to give to us. Amen? We've got, it. we've got it all. Trust Him this morning, please. For your sake, trust Him. Rejoice, because He knows exactly what He's doing and doesn't make any mistakes. Let's all stand. Father in heaven, how we thank you, Lord, for explaining to us from your word things that we'd never be able to figure out ourselves, things that that we could never understand. And yet you lay it out for us here in such a way that it helps us to realize that we don't have a right to complain, we don't have a right to get bitter, we don't have a right to quit, but rather that we are to entrust the keeping of our souls into Your hands, knowing that You'll never fail. And that gives us reason to rejoice. Lord, there might be some person here today, they've never received Christ as their Lord and Savior. And it might be that they appear to be successful by the standard of this world. They have yet to see their need, but I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit will help them to understand that without Christ, someday they'll lose it all. And then, Lord, there are those that have been saved, your dear children, struggling because of trying times in their life. And I just pray that you'll open our eyes this morning and help us to see the wisdom, the wisdom of what of what Peter has said in these verses, that we might leave here saying to ourselves, "It's all right. It's all right. Everything's all right in my Father's house. It's all right." I'm going to rejoice regardless of what the devil throws at me. But we beg it in Jesus' dear name, amen.